This is the Immigration Conversation presented by Fragman, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world. We'll bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our first joint Australia New Zealand Immigration Conversation podcast. Now, this podcast will be focused on student and post-study visa options in both Australia and New Zealand. I'm Cherie Wright, Special Counsel with Fragman Australia, and I lead Fragman's private client practice here in Australia. I'm an accredited specialist in immigration law and have been practicing in Australian immigration law for the last 20 years. I'm joined today by Sally Lyle, practice leader, Fragman New Zealand. Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I spent several years practicing Australian immigration law before moving to beautiful Auckland, where I began leading the New Zealand practice over five years ago. I'm both an Australian immigration lawyer and also a New Zealand licensed immigration advisor. Thanks, Sally. So we're currently living through unprecedented times with the COVID-19 pandemic. And although there's travel bans in place in both Australia and New Zealand, which we think will likely be in place for the remainder of 2020, I think it's fair to say there's real recognition by both governments as to the benefits of international students, to the reputation and recognition of particularly our universities, the importance of the education sector to both countries' economies and the critical role that migration will play in our country's economic recovery. Now, as both Australia and New Zealand begin to ease travel restrictions, international students are likely to be one of the first cohorts of travellers on which our countries will focus. In fact, exemptions to the Australian entry band are already in place for certain international students completing year 11 or 12 of secondary school. And with the academic year in Australia and New Zealand running from March to December, now's an ideal time to start planning your studies. So over the course of this podcast, Sally and I will discuss the visa options for you to study in Australia or New Zealand, available options for you to remain in Australia or New Zealand, either temporarily or permanently following the completion of your studies. And we'll also identify some critical documentary and timing issues which can affect the success of your visa applications. So Sally, I'm sure you'll probably agree that one question that we're often asked is why should I study abroad? And in the case of Australia, our quality of education, healthcare, transport, infrastructure and government services are rated well above international averages. Students have historically been attracted to our general lifestyle and the friendliness of our people, our safety and security, our clean environment and unique natural wonders, our democratic system of government and the availability and access to quality education. And with over 30% of Australians born overseas, we're also a truly multicultural society. Australia's health system is one of the best in the world, providing safe and affordable healthcare for all Australians. And with the pandemic, our healthcare system has been well able to cope with and manage cases, and we've got one of the highest testing rates in the world for COVID. As a result of our reaction and control to the pandemic, Australia, and I'm sure you'll agree, Sally, New Zealand, are often now even more so considered to be highly attractive and safe destinations. Importantly, we're also world leaders in education, and according to recent studies, Australia is soon expected to take over from the UK as the world's most success, second most popular study destination, just behind the US. Education is also one of our top five exports, which means that there are strong drivers to ensure our education and higher system is attractive and of a high standard. We have clean and sustainable cities and regional centres with plenty of green spaces and relatively low air pollution. And Australian cities also have some of the lowest crime rates in the world. Our cities are consistently ranked as some of the most livable in the world. Melbourne and Sydney are ranked as the second and most third 
most livable cities in the world for 2020, with the South Australian capital Adelaide also making the top 10. Australia is also in close proximity to Asia and Perth in Western Australia is in the same time zone as many Australian cities. Yes, Sheree, students have been attracted to study in New Zealand for, for really similar reasons. All of New Zealand's universities are ranked in the top 3% of universities worldwide by QS World University Rankings. New Zealand, as in Australia, also has a multicultural society that proudly celebrates its bicultural heritage. It's a progressive, inclusive society that actively promotes equal opportunities and gender equality. New Zealand is world leading with its nuclear free policy, granting female voting rights and also the rights of the LGBTQI plus community. New Zealand's, it's a small country, it's, it's quite uncrowded. You can travel around the country with relative ease to experience the diverse landscapes from its beautiful coastlines, snowy mountains, green native bush, um, you know, quiet countrysides to dynamic cosmopolitan cities. New Zealand is a country with high levels of government transparency and security. Uh, our PM, Jacinda Ardern, has gained worldwide notoriety. Um, New Zealand um, has handled the COVID pandemic really well, acting early to stop the spread, with currently no community or low community transmission reported. New Zealand has experts in climate change and adaptation, environmental management, renewable energy, disaster risk management, food security, agribusiness, public sector management, indigenous development and innovation business. All great topics for further study. Yeah, they definitely are. So if I'm interested in studying in New Zealand, Sally, so what, what does the process um, for a visa involve? Yeah, thanks, Cherie. So let me take you through some of the key steps in the student visa process for New Zealand. Although offshore temporary applications are currently not being accepted by Immigration New Zealand, we are really hopeful that the government will be loosening those restrictions in 2021. The government's already announced that they will be allowing up to 250 international students back into the country. Those will be PhD and master's students who hold or held a visa for 2020 and whose long-term commitment to study in New Zealand was disrupted by COVID-19. Let's now talk about the visa options for students coming to New Zealand. Firstly, the full fee paying student visa. So this visa allows you to study full-time in New Zealand. You'll pay the full cost of your course and enroll with an approved education provider. An approved education provider is an institute approved by the Ministry of Education or the New Zealand Qualifications Authority. They will give you a document confirming your place and this document needs to be included with the visa application. You also need to show that you've got the money for the tuition fees or proof that you've got a scholarship that pays those fees. You will need proof that you have enough money to live on while in New Zealand. And if you're studying for more than 36 weeks, this is New Zealand 15,000 for a full year of study or New Zealand 1,250 per month that you're in New Zealand. Alternatively, you could provide evidence that you've got an acceptable New Zealand sponsor, a financial undertaking by a non-New Zealander, or that your living costs have already been paid for. You will need a ticket out of New Zealand or evidence that you have enough money to buy one. If you're a fee-paying student, you need approved medical and travel insurance for the length of your stay. You may also need to provide identity documents, English language ability, documents, um, medical certificates, police certificates, and translations of any documents not in English. Another option is the pathway student visa. 
This visa allows you to apply to study up to three consecutive courses on a single student visa in New Zealand. It has similar requirements to those listed for the fee paying student visa. You will need to have a pathway student visa offer of place with a pathway education provider and to be able to pay your tuition fees. Finally, I'll just give you some comments on the dependence uh, children of people who already hold a work visa or a student visa. There's no need for these dependent children to be accepted for a course to apply for a student visa. Uh, their student visa, the dependent child student visa, entitles them to attend New Zealand primary school, secondary school as domestic students. That means that they're not required to pay international student fees. Student visas um, allow for part-time work, up to 20 hours a week while studying and full-time during the holidays, depending on the course of study. So, Cherie, from an Australian perspective, is it a similar process for students looking to study in Australia? Yeah, I think it's similar in many ways, certainly to the New Zealand process and um, also the Australian government, I think similar to New Zealand, is looking to have a pilot program um, to bring some cohorts of international students back into Australia. They're likely right. to be students that have been um, stuck outside of Australia, um, already holding student visas but haven't been able to return as a result of the pandemic. I mean, importantly, before kicking off the student visa process, you'll need to make sure that the course and the institution that you're proposing to study at is registered by the Australian government. And you can easily check this on the Commonwealth Register of Institutions and Courses for Overseas Students, or CRICOS, website at www.cricos.gov.au. Now, this is the official Australian government website that lists all Australian education providers that offer courses to people studying in Australia on student visas and the courses offered. Other important things to think about when you're selecting your course of study are English requirements. Now, the English language level required by an institution for entry to the course can be different from the English requirements for your student visa application. And in some cases, the requirements for the education provider may be higher than that required for immigration. You'll also need to think about the academic requirements for entry into the course and different requirements might apply depending on the level of study that you're proposing to complete. So, for example, if you're looking at a higher education or undergraduate course, you'll need to have an Australian Senior Secondary Certificate of Education, or our Year 12, or the overseas equivalent of this. And some undergraduate courses may also have specific prerequisite subjects. For these types of undergraduate studies, you might also like to consider completing a foundation or bridging course. These are offered by most higher education institutions in Australia, and they're intensive courses that will help you meet the entry requirements and are usually around a year long. Um, year long. For higher education postgraduate courses, you must have completed at least one degree at undergraduate level. Now, for the student visa application itself, you'll need to have an offer of enrolment for the course, or if you're in Australia, an electronic confirmation of enrolment. Some other important considerations are the financial requirements. So, similar to the New Zealand process, you'll need to have sufficient funds um, for the student visa itself to cover your travel costs and 12 months of living costs, which is currently set at around 21000 Australian dollars, um, with an additional $7,000, um, approximately $7,000 for living costs for your spouse and approximately $3,000 per dependent child. You'll also need to be able to meet the tuition fees for yourself and your company family members and the school costs for any school-age dependents. And this is calculated at close to $9,000 per annum. Or another way that you can meet the financial requirements is to evidence that your spouse or parents are willing to support you and that they've got an annual income of at least $60,000 for single students 
or at least $70,000 for students who are accompanied by family members. English language requirements are also an important consideration and you might need to provide evidence that you've taken an approved English test in the two years before you apply for your student visa and have achieved a required minimum score in that English test. So for example, for the IELTS, it's usually an overall band of 5.5. Meeting the genuine temporary entrant requirement is also another factor to take into account. Now this requires you to demonstrate that you're coming to Australia temporarily for study purposes. As part of this assessment, the Department of Home Affairs will consider the reasons why you've selected the course of study, your employment and previous study background, your ties to and economic circumstances in your home country, as well as your immigration history. Finally, health insurance is another factor. So unless you're from Norway, Sweden or Belgium, you'll need to obtain overseas student health cover for you and your company family members for the length of your stay in Australia. Now, in some cases, your education provider might arrange this insurance on your behalf. You and any accompanying family members will also need to meet relevant health and character requirements. Now, once you've been granted the student visa and you've commenced your course of study, you'll need to make sure that you maintain your enrolment and attendance for your course. In some cases, it might be possible to change courses without needing to obtain a new student visa. Although before doing so, I'd always recommend consulting with an immigration lawyer or a registered migration agent. Another important thing to be aware of are the work rights on Australian student visas. So once your course is commenced, you'll have limited work rights, which allow you to work for up to 40 hours a fortnight whilst your course is in session. However, you'll be able to work full time during official university breaks. And students completing PhD or master's degrees by research are permitted to work full time. Your spouse will also have the same 40 hour per fortnight work limitation, unless you're studying a master's degree by coursework or by research or a PhD, in which case your spouse will have unrestricted work rights. So Sally, once an international student's completed a qualification in New Zealand, are there any visa options if they'd like to stay longer in New Zealand, for example, to obtain some work experience? Yes, there are. So a post-study work visa lasts for one, two or three years, depending on the level of the qualification and where you've studied. It allows you to work for any employer in almost any job. So this post-study work visa replaced two previous visas in November 2018. That was the post-study work visa open and the post-study work visa employer assisted. So if you already hold a post-study work visa open, you can apply to extend your visa for up to two more years. And if you already hold a post-study work visa employer assisted, you can choose to have the job, employer and location removed. You can then work for any employer in any location and in almost any job. You can also apply for a further post-study work visa if you complete another qualification in New Zealand. That is at least a level seven bachelor's degree, lasted for a minimum of 30 weeks and is higher than the qualification you submitted for your previous visa. So depending on the employment you find, you may also be eligible for a range of work visas, including the essential skills work visa. Thanks, Sally. So from an Australian perspective, the temporary graduate subclass 485 visa is a really good option for students who have completed appropriate tertiary studies in Australia. Now, this is a temporary visa granted for between 18 months and four years, depending on the eligibility stream and all the qualification you've completed. It allows you to leave study and work in Australia without restriction. And under new arrangements, Hong Kong passport holders are eligible for a five-year visa, regardless of the eligibility stream. There are two main eligibility streams, the graduate work stream and the post-study stream, which I'll briefly cover off. Although some common criteria apply to both of the streams, 
um, specifically that you must be under 50 years of age. You must have hold, you must hold or have recently held a student visa in the last six months. And in the last six months, you must have completed a qualification in a Cryocos registered course, which was completed over at least two academic years, that is 92 weeks, and in a minimum of 16 calendar months. Now, like the student visa process, English health character and health insurance requirements also apply to both streams of this temporary graduate visa. The graduate work stream is for students who have recently graduated with skills and qualifications that are relevant to specific occupations in demand in Australia. And this will allow you to live, study and work in Australia for up to 18 months or five years if you're a Hong Kong passport holder. The second stream is the post-study work stream, and this is for students who have recently graduated with a degree from an Australian institution. It will allow you to live, work and study for usually between two to four years, depending on the qualification. So if you've completed a bachelor or master by coursework degree, you'll get a two-year visa period. If you've completed a master's by research, you'll get a three-year visa. Or if you've completed a doctorate, you'll be eligible for a four-year visa. And again, Hong Kong passport holders are eligible for a five-year visa. Great. So, Suri, apart from the graduate visas you've mentioned, are there other Australian visa options that might be suitable for international students? Yeah, absolutely. Outside of the temporary graduate visa programs, depending on your employment experience, you might be eligible for other skilled workers. Uh, work visas, including permanent residence options. And these are under Australia's points test to general skilled migration category or the employer-sponsored programs. The new Global Talent Independent Visa programs it also provides a permanent visa pathway for high-performing recent PhD, Masters or Bachelor degree honours students who have completed um, studies or research relevant to one of seven key priority sectors as follows, ag tech, space and advanced manufacturing, manufacturing, fintech, energy and mining technology, medtech, cybersecurity, quantum information, advanced digital data science and ICT. Now, the priority processing arrangements that apply to this global talent independent program mean that in some cases, permanent residency can be granted in a matter of weeks, whereas for some of the other skilled permanent visa options, they can take over 12 months to process. So it's really a fast track process to permanent residence. And the program is a particular focus of the Australian government at the moment. Thanks, everyone, for joining Sally and I in our discussion on student visa and post-study visa options in Australia and New Zealand. We hope you picked up some helpful points from our conversation. If you have any questions, please visit our website, www.fragman.com. And of course, please feel free to contact Sally or myself directly. You'll also find our details on the Fragman website. The Immigration Conversation Podcast is presented by Fragman the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. This episode is current as of the date of recording. With frequent changes in global immigration, be sure to keep up to date by visiting our website at www.fragaman.com and subscribing to the Immigration Conversation on your favorite podcast service to hear the latest episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any listener and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the Global Immigration Professional with whom you work at Fragamin.